Now Dude, I'm twice here. in the last week or 10 days, someone has asked me on the way out of Mass, hey, can you hear my confession after Mass? And then I say, sure. And then I forget and leave. <laughs> so I, I think I have a new, new policy that's like, that's more important than saying hello to people. So I'm just going to go do that right away. That's so a good forget. idea. That is good. That is good. a good idea. Hey, Lessons here's a question. learned. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. All right. Um, what's the topic? Well, did, did anybody else have anything? I always try to ask. <laughs> dude you just dive right in man dive right in i have nothing all right two two things and the one dude i don't know i don't know i honest i always say this but legitimately i don't know where this one is gonna go but have you guys ever seen the hbo show true detective no i've tried to watch that but it's uh i don't think it's on netflix it's not. It's not. You'd have to. I got it from the library, actually, when I got down here, the DVDs. Um, but I think because it's I, I guess not all HBO shows are on Netflix or anyway, I just got me and Arisman, uh watched it. And it's like an eight, uh, eight Dude, episode I thing. It's nice because you're with Steve, I forgot. You're oh, with Steve. <laughs> yeah, man, it's amazing. That it is, is amazing. amazing. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Holy. Shit. <laughs> yeah, he's the. He's the assistant or the parochial vicar down here. So right on. You know, my roommate, you know. Dude, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt, but that's just such an incredible thing. Um yeah. yeah. No, it needed it needed to be said. Um anyway, so him and I watched this this series, and dude, it was it was the darkest show I've ever seen. No exaggeration. Um and it, I just kind of forewarned, I wouldn't like fully endorse it. Just it's HBO. So, I mean, there are some there are some scenes that were were like crazy images, a couple of very graphic sex scenes. So just kind of know that before you, you know, decide if you're going to watch it or or not. But but anyway, Matthew McConaughey's character in it. Um, I don't even know, man, how to describe him. But like they the the writing of it had some pretty serious philosophy in it and he he goes into this whole thing in one of the episodes about um i think it's from i think it's from like the uh eternal recurrence theory of nietzsche and he's talking about how time is a a flat circle and so we keep just reliving human existence and he gets into like how human consciousness was just a mistake of evolution and but it wasn't a typical um, like Richard Dawkins type approach to this. Like this was very smart writing um, and it allowed like just the images in this show. They did such a cool job with it, especially the last scene um, or the last scenes of it. I'm just like going down into the darkness and I mean, the subtitle of the show is you touch darkness and dark- darkness touches you back. And so these two detectives draw this just twisted case. Um, 
and it's kind of like them reliving it a little bit. Um, and then the last couple episodes end in, in present day and, and not closure, but I guess close to. Um, Is this like the first episode it, of the series or something you're talking about? Well, no, that's kind of like, I mean, a very basic, no spoiler synopsis of the, oh, the entire series? of the series. Yep. Okay. And so they draw the case. The start of the case is in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just but anyway, Matthew McConaughey's character is fascinating in it. And he gets to this spot like at the end of the show where it's just like total darkness and he realizes that even there, and again, I, I won't like spoil it at all, but even there, he has an experience of love. And so like the last line of the show, they're looking up at the, the stars and they're talking about, um, I don't know if it would like get into stoicism or, or not, um, but they're talking about like the, the light versus the dark. And Woody Harrelson's character says, you know, they're looking up at the stars and he said, man, it looks like the dark is winning. And Matthew McConaughey's character responds that the dark was there first. So in his view, the light is winning. And so it's just like this little shot of hope um, into it. But anyway, I honestly don't. I just finished it last night. I don't have it. There's a lot stirring from it, to be honest, but uh, I don't have it formulated enough to really uh, like necessarily talk about that stuff unless it cued something in you guys. But what it was maybe for a podcast topic, an easier one to talk about. And this isn't a um, the bad guy in this show is is like beyond twisted of anything I've ever I've ever watched. Um, and just the stuff is heavy that they that they show and talk about in it. So I'm not saying I'm not trying to glamorize it at all, but it cued a thought in me that the Vatican actually released around the new star Wars movie and they critiqued the new star Wars movie pretty hard, but it was interesting because the Vatican did the Vatican did. I didn't know that, but their critique. And I don't know if I don't know like what capacity it came out of the Vatican. It was a headline. Um, but the critique was very interesting because it wasn't anything like, oh, don't go see it or blah, blah, blah. It was it was that the bad guys were not very impressive in it. And it was like, <laughs> really? yeah. And it was like you they talked about like Darth Vader kind of being this iconic like presence of evil and good versus bad in a human person and like these forces in it. And they pretty much said whatever the bad guy like i don't remember the 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 dark lord uh, whatever his name is in it and then like the new kind of darth vader uh whatever his name is it the two bad guys and they're just kind of like the one guy is kind of a punk and they try to like play this other this old guy up as like this super scary thing the guy on the big throne or whatever yeah the guy on the big throne and vatican was like it was junk like it was just we don't even know how to like portray evil today. Um, and so it's just very, I don't know, like an interesting thing to uh, to talk about because that was certainly not the case in um, in True Detective. Uh, but I was just thinking about that in the Star Wars movie and I was like, oh, that kind of that kind of makes sense. Like what they were they were saying. And they weren't making fun of it, but in a sense they were like, eh, you know, it just yeah, not not what they were going for. 
anyway, so there you go. Hmm. Well, that does make me think of, um, I don't know, maybe this is connected, maybe it's not, but I got to do some hospital visits with uh, the parochial vicar that I'm with here, which is kind of cool that all three of us even now are somehow involved in the internship process. Because oh, you, yeah. you have a guy at your parish, right, Father? Mm-hmm, Stephen. Yeah, that's nice, dude. Um, so I don't know if you like take him on your hospital visits as well, because you have that hospital right next to your parish. Um, yeah, I haven't been. I didn't get called last week, but I did take him on a house blessing and a couple other oh, things. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude! Internship is so cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe what we I should noticed, point out, point out to the listeners that we're not all in the same place at all. Mike's in Atlanta. Rob, you're in Charleston. Mm-hmm. I'm in an undisclosed location. In you're in F- Blue Island, dude. I'm in Area what? 51. Really? Anyway, go ahead. They have they have internet out there. <laughs> um, Don't say that like you know me, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, we're doing parish work over here. Ever heard yeah. of it? Yo, you guys are working so hard. Your lives—you must be so important. Do you get a lot I, of validation from that? I feel very important. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so, and that's no lie. So you go to the um, hospital and you so, encounter like true evil. Is that what you were going for? Oh my gosh, dude! So much evil. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, what I did encounter though was uh, would go in with this priest, and he's super young, newly ordained, and we just you know you kind of walk in. We have a list of the Catholic patients, and you walk in and um, bring them communion if they'd like to receive or hear their confessions, and really just be there for them as a father and as a representative of the church um, while they're sick. And most of the people that we talk to, like we'll sit there and talk with them for a little bit and, um, you know, pleasant conversation, this and that, or just kind of hopefully meet them where they are. And a lot of the times before we leave, father will say, you know, like, well, Hey, I I brought communion. And um, if you'd like to go to confession, we can totally do that. And then you can receive communion or, you know, whatever, whatever you'd like to do. And of all the people that he asked if they wanted to go to confession or something like that, or like, Hey, I've been away from the church for a long time. And he said, well, Hey, you know, I can definitely hear your confession right now. And they'd say, there was like three of them out of the seven that we, we ran into who actually acknowledged um, this offer. And all three of them said, I don't have anything to confess. Like, I don't even, what would I say? I, I don't have any big sins or anything like that. So like, I don't, I don't need to go to confession. It was essentially it. And these are people who said that they haven't been to confession in like many, 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 many years. Um, so I guess the connection that hit me was, um, I guess the, yeah, the lack of the recognition of evil in a lot of ways or the lack of the recognition of sin when it becomes just kind of a part of, um, a part of your everyday life, it really does begin to be normalized. And then looking at what presenting a real evil can oftentimes be much more difficult because the distinction between a good and a bad is so blurred because it, it just kind of seems normal in a lot of ways. And of course, that's not to condemn them or judge them or anything like that. Um, but that was just really shocking to me how many people were unable to even recognize like the need for forgiveness or the presence of, of sin or evil in their own, um, you know, in their own situations. And even with a priest right there in front of them, 
Um, so I don't know if that's your experience when you go to the hospital very often, um, if you get that response as well, but I was just shocked by it. Well, I think it's just a, a general human, we all suffer. It's not just, uh, the hoi polloi, but myself included, sure. I will say that we are pretty desensitized to evil. Even, you know, the stuff you watch on TV, you just kind of, like you were saying about HBO, what re and it really annoys me that it, you can just take for granted that if you watch a, a TV series on either that or Showtime or whatever premium channels that they're going to have the token uh, sex scene. And you're just like, this is so unnecessary. It doesn't advance the narrative. It's just to be expected. And then we're like, well, this is a good story. So I guess I'll just put up with it. And, um, it's a, it's a trivial example, but, uh, reminds me of something I read on retreat, John Henry Newman's on the mental sufferings of Christ and his passion. You guys ever read that? It's a short no. little meditation. No. Be worth reading. Um, but he says that, um, the reason Christ's suffering was so profound, you know, people have been physically tortured more brutally than Christ was, but what he was suffering most profoundly from was that he knew exactly what sin actually was. Um, the rejection of God, the choice of of death over life. And um, yeah, it it'd be like, like that story about the little girl and the, wanting to have gum whenever she wanted and kind of fantasizing about her parents dying so she could have it whenever she wanted. Like we think that that's cute and we understand, you know, you're just a little kid and you, you know, you've got this rebellious heart and we, we just take for granted, like everybody experiences that, you know, where they have desires or thoughts that are reprehensible, but that are understandable because we're in this situation of sin and rebelliousness. But what Christ in his innocence and, and understanding the will of God and completely aligning his own will to it could see in the people around him their rejection, what, what that rejection actually looks like, which is the death of God. And he freely assented to suffer that, not just whips and chains or nails and a cross, but humanity's full-throated rejection of God's love. And that we don't, we take that very lightly. We're kind of like, huh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I missed mass a couple of times, but what's the big deal? And maybe so, you know, whatever, like it's not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. But um, the point is like all of our rejection, our laziness, our greed, uh, whatever we've done or whatever we've not done that puts us outside of the will of God hangs us over the abyss of nothingness out of which God created us. And we're just like, ha, we're just hanging here, but who cares? Uh, only God's love keeps us from falling into annihilation. But, you know, I'm pretty busy on Sundays. You know, and it's like, like in the grand scheme of things, if you actually understand, which only God does, our, our actual metaphysical state as completely dependent on him and on his goodwill toward us to continue existing even another second uh, than any sort of like refusal to do his will or rebellion against a limitation set upon us by creation or nature by him is this evil. And I, I agree with the Vatican, whoever, I mean, the Vatican's not a person, but whoever this was that, <laughs> <laughs> that critiqued. We have this. an inside source in the Vatican that <laughs> said. This, I, I thought it was very cartoonish. It was kind of like the Thor movies or something. Like there's just yeah. some, this is unbelievable cartoon 
guy with an ugly face and no hair who's apparently pulling all the strings of the evil ones. And you're just like, uh, okay, shrug. But whereas, you know, I've never seen True Detective, but a movie like Fargo, where yeah, you see exactly, somebody exactly. do like like a real human being and the um, what human beings are capable of in terms of wickedness mm-hmm. and how deformed human nature can look where, you know, self-preservation and, and love of the other and uh, like just natural affection when that's all just vacated from a human soul, what evil they can do and how scary that is to think like, I remember the, the most scared I ever was, was as a kid was watching America's Most Wanted, not a cartoon about Darth Vader or Skeletor. Sure. I was like, there are people like that out there yeah. who will just like kidnap you or kill you or that freaked me out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, evil, cool, uplifting podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is interesting, though, how... Um, yeah, just the if I think Fargo would definitely relate to the experience of this true detective. Uh exactly what you were saying, like it kind of shocks you of what human beings are um are capable of. Even, you know, uh you know, even like the Adolf Eichmann at the Nuremberg trials. Like that was where I think it was Hannah Arendt coined the phrase, she was a reporter there or doing something there, and she coined the phrase, the banality of evil, mm-hmm. um, where it's just like this guy that, you know, had been such a, uh, had played such a role in all of these deaths, like an experience of human depravity that, I don't know, the Western world anyway, is not really seen before or since, it could be arguable, but but still, like, a depravity that not many people imagine possible. And he sat there like an accountant, just like mm-hmm. I was just doing my job, you know? And, um, and it's, it's interesting. Mano gave me a book one time on, I don't know where it came from. I don't know that it's like been really proven to be totally legitimate, but supposedly at some point they found this diary at a seminary and I don't know what era it was from like 50s or 60s where the um the old Soviet Union had put men in training from like their their teenage days to go and become Catholic priests and then to um pretty much like infiltrate the church from the inside and so supposedly they found this diary from this guy um that was doing this like he had been like in this for for years and was now i think at the major seminary and just to taunt one of the priests one time there's a story in this book and this was like what spurred i don't i can't remember if the guy had a conversion or ended up like did like kind of walking away from it but a part that played a a thing that played a part in that was this guy went to the confession, confessional at the seminary with no intentions of actually like remorse or anything like that. He just wanted to taunt the priest that was in the confessional. Um, and so he told him like all of this stuff, like he had been, you know, training for all these years and what he was going to try to do the, the, to the church when he got ordained and blah, blah, blah. And I guess the priest's reaction was just like very 
very nonchalant. Like he almost didn't even recognize it and just asked the guy. So he was like, okay, like, do you have anything else to confess? <laughs> um, and it was just totally this experience for this guy of like, hey, you idiot. Um, you know, a lot of people in history have tried to take down um, the church or whatever, or tried to, you know, quote unquote, kill God, etc. And it's like, you know, it's it's like that old line of like, if it if the bishops and priests haven't been able to do it in two thousand years, you know, your your efforts will surely be futile. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so it was just this. It was an interesting like to read it of this experience of what I would call wisdom in this priest of like, you're an idiot. Like you're not as big a deal as you think you are. Right. He's expecting the priest to be shaken in his boots. Like, oh no, all my soft power will be taken away if you clever exactly. geniuses. Yep. Uh, do this. No one's ever thought of this before. Yep. And that's that. I think that's why maybe that critique, which I like the Star Wars movie. I mean, don't get me wrong, but that critique that I read from wherever in the Vatican was saying like they were kind of going for that effect with these with these characters and especially the old guy, like the grotesqueness, maybe. And it was just kind of this experience of like, meh, you know, whatever. But if you have an experience of um at least for me, like watching True Detective or whatever else, um, however, like however this comes through, if you have an experience of like, oh, man, like our human being is actually capable of that. That's different. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that God like isn't bigger than that. Um, but I guess that was the experience that I was kind of going off uh you know just articulating now from watching this true detective of like okay i mean it's a fictional thing you know don't put too much thought into it but there's some bad bad stuff out there and like the gospel you know if it is what we claim it to be then it has to be able to reach there like the darkest place and ultimately that place is going to be in you know, in the human heart, but like the gospel has to be able to, to reach there and to win there, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the kind of this experience of me just to like, just to allow God to go there, to not kind of shake off maybe these different emotions that, that came up from, again, a fictional TV show, but to say like, okay, but God, I need you to go there and i'd even i don't even know what that looks like but i know i need it because this stuff can shake you up if if you don't allow god to do that i like that line too that you mentioned the darkness was there first so to me the light is winning Mm -hmm. you know like if you take any static state like a photograph you just have this one moment in time this one image of the way things were when the photo was taken you could say well there's more darkness than light in this photo but mm. there's a big difference if it's a photo of the sunset or the sunrise. Yeah. Because if it's the sunrise, if you, you know, pushed play on it, you'd say, oh, well, the light light's winning. It's rolling it back, rolling back the darkness. And that's, I, I guess that's the difference. That's one of the big difference in worldviews of the pessimist and the optimist. Um, right. Well, it's and, not like, and, go ahead. Well, and even, oh, well, even on this one, I felt like, the the character like how this philosophy was articulated 
was that like he just wasn't quite far enough yet. Like he was treating this darkness, um, he was treating this darkness as a wall. And I think slowly, and I don't know, like this is this may be a stretch, but like if you understand it as a threshold, um, then maybe you understanding that the light is deeper, like the light is deeper and, and the light is winning, you know? And so I don't, I don't know. And what were you going to say, Mike? Yeah. Well, the, the, actually the image that just occurred to me when you were talking about, you have a picture in time. Uh, do y'all remember when, um, uh, this is like way, way back in the day, but the, the, the old Kodaks where you would just snap it and then it would kind of and pop out the bottom talking about Polaroids? The, at the Polaroids. Yeah. And it would just develop right in front of you. And <clears throat> the image that just came to me was it comes out totally black. And then slowly over time, the actual image, the light of it begins to break through. And then eventually there's, you know, no more darkness and it's completely the image that you intended to take. And I guess that was just kind of what came to me because the idea behind all of that, like exactly what you're saying, Rob, is the light even there is is deeper than the darkness. It's like the darkness is grounded upon the fact that light exists, that it's not a battle between good and evil. It's that's not what's happening because the good has right. already won. The good has is allowing this evil to exist for for honestly the greater glory of the good, which is which is crazy. But what that does, I don't know, in my own experience whenever I've had like yeah, a, an encounter with evil or suffering or something like that, it is having the freedom to step into the darkness, to be led into the darkness with the knowledge that the Lord is, he's the foundation upon which this, even this darkness is existing. And therefore I can go into this entirely trusting God and trusting that not only like, is it, has he already won, but this is all for his greater glory. And so it's an invitation. What I've always experienced in a deeper trust into God in a place where I have no business going on my own or I have no business going in and then coming out on my own. I don't trust myself at all being there. But there, there's always an invitation in that deep evil of saying like, yeah, somehow, which it, it sounds ridiculous. And I would actually be weary of talking to someone who's in a specific like evil or suffering um, to try and say like, yeah, this is for God's greater glory. Like that all sounds really nice. But when you're faced with real evil in the actual situation, that's, uh, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, a, it, it, it's the right idea. It's very, very true. But then the well, particular, you put it into practice in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, you know what I'm thinking about is kind of jumping off of both your points is this line from a song. I quoted it on Twitter like a month ago, but I was listening to this band Typhoon. It's a really good band. Uh, and this guy who is the lead singer, writes all the songs, was bit by a bug when he was a kid and got Lyme's disease. And it's like never gone away. And he's just always sick all the time. And mm. all of it, a lot of his songs kind of have to do with death and dying and sickness. And they put out just like a series of 10 songs that are each like a minute long. Uh, with a music video associated with each one and it, the theme of it I think is like as you look back on your life there's 10 10 memories flash in front of your face and it's one of them is uh, the one that got me the most was this kid just sort of running in slow motion 
through a playground going up a slide and then down a slide it's like that's the whole video but it's very bright and the kid is just like carefree and one of the 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 refrain of this song is um holy light come save my life come pull me from the ashes if i am wicked now the world was wicked once to me Mm. um and that line if i'm wicked now the world was wicked once to me it seems like that that's a lot of our excuse you know and it's not that it's just an excuse it's it's rational it makes sense you know like we tend to look at whatever evil is going on in our own hearts as excusable as, as excusable because look at all the evil in the world mm-hmm. you know um and i'm not saying like the the limit cases of the fargo guy or the true detective villain or or whatever else you know human sure. depravity can but the the banality of evil the, the normal way of evil is just like well this is just the way of the world you know dog eat dog and i'm just trying to get mine and there's a lot of people that are way worse than me um all i do is download music illegally or you know sure not pay my taxes or you know like little things that you can just say what's the big deal you know mm-hmm. but i think that the healing i mean the answer to evil we see in Jesus is, is never, it's not that we never fight, you know, like, you know, if the Nazi army is trying to take over the world and kill everybody, you got to fight them, you know, it's self-defense and protection of the innocent. But the ultimate battle, the ultimate victory isn't won with the weapons that are used by the enemy. It's through forgiveness and mercy and love that the martyrs won over the Roman empire and all the other things, you know, but that's why I feel like with this, the whole sun coming up analogy and like, you know, what if Mike, somebody comes to you and how's all this suffering that they've undergone? What do you say to them? It's like, don't think beforehand, don't worry beforehand about what you are to say. It's your father who speaks through you. The spirit of, of my father speaks through you. You know, you, you just put yourself in the situation, like go to the hospital, you know, and offer people confession. And you'll be rejected a lot of times, but that's it. You know, it's not, Father Hebden used to say, it's not random acts of kindness is not Christianity. All our acts of kindness are very, very specific and concrete and willed by God. Every single day people are put in front of you or a microphone on a podcast, whatever. And there are words you are to say. And if you, in the measure that you trust in God and assent to his will, you will participate in pushing back the darkness and bringing to bear the, the kingdom of God. Um, no matter where you are, no matter who's in front of you, if it's an annoying person, you know, nagging you, how do you, how do you react? Or if it's somebody in desperate need of a word of mercy or kindness, whatever it is. But um, I was just seeing, I, I just saw this uh, article on some Catholic uh, blog. No, it wasn't Catholic. This guy was Lutheran. He was a pastor, young guy in Pennsylvania somewhere. And he decided that um, he wanted to spend at least half of his time working outside the office. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things he did was he made a little like cardstock sign that just says free prayer and goes to coffee shops for like an hour or two every Thursday and just sits down with a cup of coffee and puts this little sign on the table like a two-person table and it just says free prayer and he says he's like you know for the first couple times he's really self-conscious and just buried his nose in a book but then people started coming and just like they would get out of line and sit down with him and ask him to pray for something and 
that starts conversations. And there was one guy who like in the last year had lost his wife, his father and his niece died suddenly. And like he'd lost his job and all this different stuff. And he was just, he hadn't talked to anybody about how the darkness was just like overtaking his entire life. And he felt completely helpless. And then he sees this sign and it's like, yes. And you can look at that sign free prayer. And that's as random an act of kindness as you can get. You're, you have no plan, you know, except that it's God who said, Hey, put that sign out. And then he's the one bringing you concrete people. Yeah. Uh, in situations that need some light put into them, you know, and even even my experience in the hospital, a great consolation for me was like the whole time this priest is talking to she's an, she's an older lady. She moved down from the northeast and she said, I've been away from the church for a while. And I'm like, dude, we got this priest. I'm just watching this thing. I got this young priest, 27, and this old lady who's like 70 something who just fell sick. Like out of nowhere in the hospital has pneumonia. And I'm just praying like, oh, I hope she accepts this confession. I want her to go. And I'm just praying for her, praying for her. And she doesn't budge at all. And we kind of leave and the priest is chuckling a little bit afterwards. You know, he's I, I'm certain that he had he's kind of used to stuff like that. And the thought occurred to me like, you know what? <laughs> maybe she needed to just see that priest. And maybe that's exactly what the Lord intended. As a matter of fact, I know that's exactly what the Lord intended because that's, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And so there's, even there, there's this great trust that like, okay, God has this entire situation, which I think (laughs) didn't turn out the way that it should have, or that that lady needed so bad. Like, oh my gosh, God has all of this under control Mm -hmm. and I can calm down (laughs) because maybe she just needed to encounter a priest. And remember that the church was there and I don't know who knows that's, right. that's kind of the point in that, but it was just a great trust in that this priest was out here taking what could have been his free time and came and visited these patients because he felt like that's where the Lord was calling him. And that's the first step in really, yeah, I guess the random acts of kindness are not so random when it comes right down to it. Random acts of kindness are, listening to the will of God and allowing him to be in control of that situation. And, um, yeah, I know, it, it looks it, random because it, the, the parable of the sower looks random. You know, the kingdom of God is like the seed and he's so liberal with the way he scatters it. Uh, but it's all dependent on the soil that it finds, whether or not it's going to sprout. Yeah. You know, you don't, it wasn't the time for that woman to go to confession, uh, for her, you know, like she wasn't ready to make that act of trust and that's fine. But it was still the will of God, I guess, to, to throw the seed on that path, you know, um, and just keep doing that and keep doing that. And yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll just share a quick grace and I don't know. Um, it's probably well timed cause you could take it out if it doesn't fit too well, but this came up in my 30 day, um, of what we're kind of what we're talking about. In the sense that on the 30-day exercises, you have pretty much a whole day that you um, pray with and and honestly experience Holy Saturday. So as you go through the passion of Jesus, you just kind of, you know, walk with him closer and closer to his crucifixion. And one of the things that came up 
which ended up being a grace for me in the 30 day was that he really died. And the best way I can describe that in the experience of this prayer was that he really did. And um, so he was truly dead. And it was just this experience of like what that was, what that was like, um, both to experience it, uh, you know, in history with the apostles, with Mary, um, the other disciples, et cetera, but also what that is to experience um, in our own lives. And to be honest, it's very, very dark, um, at least for me. And towards the end of the day, I just kept thinking he was going to show up, like he was going to come out of that tomb. And I don't know why I kind of had that in my head or um, like what particular grace made this experience so real, but you can't fabricate that prayer. You can't just imagine him in your mind coming out of the tomb. He has to really do it. And so I remember the last holy hour of the day, I got pretty distraught, um, honestly, and it was just, it was very, very hard that he was really dead. And e even to the point, like in my journal, it's just like this kind of sinking feeling of like dead people don't rise from the grave. And so that was probably the, like the, maybe the low point in the sense of like all of this stuff kind of coming to a point and a certain heaviness to it in the 30 day. But the image that came to me was actually from the Easter vigil at our cathedral a couple years ago, where you process in like in total darkness and these candles all from the Easter candle, like this light starts to spread. And it was for me, it became a very real experience of like almost going through each candle as they lit. And it was it was people like they were the light for me and it varied greatly it, it very like saint therese her little way her impact on my life was one of them so was john paul ii and his like the greatness of his life and his teaching and his impact on me pursuing priesthood but it was also another one of the candles you know and equal to those was my parents and like these little acts of love that they've shown me um forever or uh, my siblings, like choosing to have families and choosing life. And all I can, like the best way I can describe it is that this light just started to spread in these candles. But the light, capital T, capital L, was not there yet. And then that beautiful imagery from the Easter vigil where the lights to the cathedral or to the church actually come on. And that's a different light than the ones from those candles but like it gets its source from the same place. And so I don't know, I just offered that. I haven't shared that with too many people from it. But for me, that kind of sums up what we're talking about is all of this stuff, like all of these acts are Jesus. It is that light spreading. Mm. But you have to have the light, like the light himself truly come. And you can't talk someone into that. And honestly, that was the first real experience of it for me. You can't talk yourself into it. Like you can't read the Gospels and say this is historical fact or whatever. Like that has to happen. Mm. Um, and you are totally dependent on God for that to happen. Um, 
And so it's a it's a crazy spot. But it is that notion of like darkness, uh, suffering. It's not a wall. It's a threshold. And you and you're right, Mike, like you don't go in there alone. You know, you don't, and you don't have to go in there alone. Um, you know, honestly, through the the communion of saints, but very tangibly, like with people in your life, specifically a spiritual director. Um, but it's something that I don't know. I mean, we don't talk about it maybe enough, honestly, that, uh, you know, if you do, the church gives us these, these beautiful things of prayer and spiritual direction that we can, you know, pray for the courage to actually look into that darkness in your own life and, and to realize then through experience, not through a class or whatever, that it's not a wall, it's a threshold. Yeah, and if I can also say, insanely beautiful, Rob, thank I'm you. I'm still going to cut it out. That was kind of lame. That was yeah, serious. <laughs> just kidding, that was cool. Cut that's, it. That's why we have to have community, dude. Because what you're talking about there is allowing uh, other people to... And I know this sounds, we hear this very often in the church, but really be Christ, be a light for you in your own life. And to be able to talk about that stuff, like spiritual direction, my goodness, dude, if I didn't have someone pointing out lights in my own life that I wasn't able to see, but are there, I don't know what I do, you know? And so like even being able to be here and talk with you guys and the graces that we're able to essentially highlight to each other, to be able to have those lights that are present within our own lives. That's so important, man. We have to be able to talk about our faith and to be able to talk about God's presence in our life. Um, If it's not for our own good, then for other people's goods. Uh, Because, you know, like any fire that absolutely spreads. Um, Yeah, no, it's just a super, super beautiful image. Just darkness being overwhelmed by light into Mm -hmm. the full glory of god that's um but then you go back to the darkness was there first it has to be there first for you to see even the stars you know like you have to go out into the middle of nowhere if you want to get a good night full of stars you know if there's right light pollution uh which is was something that's always this is petty but has always kind of frustrated me about our modern interpretation of the stations of the cross like oh, the stations don't make any sense without the resurrection, so let's add a 15th station. And you're like, yes, but the resurrection makes no sense without the death and mourning of the death of Christ. And like if a Friday in Lent is not the time to contemplate simply the death before the resurrection, when do we do that? You know, if you want to jump, if you want to skip the threshold, you're not going to get what the resurrection really meant. Or me. And that's the beauty, like that's the beauty of salvation history, because we as humans, like in in this in our capacity, we have to experience it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's even that you start to realize more and more is an experience of being loved by God, in the sense that yeah, like in this capacity. Um, that realization, the darkness, in a sense, if you let it, can become a grace. And maybe that's the weakness of those Star Wars bad guys, is that 
But at the end of the day, okay, the darkness is there first to like use that image. But at the end of the day, we are not going towards a battle of light versus dark. We're going to the light. Mm. And there's a difference there's a difference there, but it's an important one. Um, and so then you get this. That's to me where that those maybe that language that I didn't understand before um, of God being all good um, comes from is that the light is, and you can stop the sentence there. But in our human experience, it is muddled. But there's a movement towards it, um, even though it's very, very scary. Uh, but yeah, like the image works like for the darkness to be there first and like that light to overcome it. But what are you moving towards? You're moving towards the light. Brutal, brutal. Very good, guys. What did you just very nice. say there? I don't know. It was... Just speechless. Dude, tongues. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.